1991, 20-year-old Angela Hammond was thriving and excited to live the life she had always dreamt of. That is, until all her hopes and dreams vanished in a blink of an eye when she was forcefully taken one night never to be seen again. I'm Jelsey May, and this is Exhibit May. Missouri is about an hour south of Kansas City. Around 9,000 people live here. What happened to Angela is the greatest mystery which has never been solved. Here's what we know for sure. She was young, she was pregnant, and she was abducted. On February 9th, 1971, Marsha and Chris Hammond were over the moon to announce the birth of their first child, Angela Hammond, who was also known to everyone as Angie. After settling as new parents in Kansas City for a few years, the Hammonds decided it was time for a change and moved from the hectic city life to Clinton, Missouri. With a population of just under 8,000 people in the 1970s, Clinton was a quieter and safer place to live and had a small town feel that continues to this day. After adjusting to their new home, the couple welcomed their second child, making Angie a big sister. But as time passed, they realized that being young parents wasn't easy and their relationship started crumbling. Despite all their efforts to make things work, Marcia and Chris realized that their relationship wasn't working and decided to part ways. Aside from memories of the divorce, Angie loved living in Clinton. It was a place that truly felt like home to her. She grew up to be a smart and witty young woman, described as a fun-loving, free-spirited, driven person, and was friends with everyone. She also did very well in school and had a clear vision for her future. She wanted to start a family and build a life with someone special. In late 1990, Angie was 19 years old and living her best life, attending Central Missouri State University in Warrensburg and met the love of her life, 18-year-old football star Rob Schaefer. It's unknown how the two first began dating, but those who knew the couple said they were the perfect match and described it as a whirlwind romance. Not long after they started dating, in January 1991, they discovered that Angie was pregnant. And before long, Rob purchased a ring and proposed. Rob's goal was to join the military, but until then, he worked odd jobs while Angie attended university during the day and worked evenings at a bank as a processor. The couple rented a mobile home together, and while money was tight, they worked hard and saved all their money for their baby's arrival. On Thursday, April 4th, 1991, the couple attended a barbecue at the home of Angie's mother, who lived about 30 kilometers outside of Clinton. After a wonderful evening with family, the couple left around 9.30 p.m. parting ways, but planned to meet again later before heading home. Rob went to his parents' house to babysit his younger brother, Justin, while Angie went to pick up her friend, Kyla, to have girl chats and cruise around town. At 11.15 p.m., she dropped her friend off at home and realized she was getting too tired to continue the night and decided to call Rob to tell him about the change of plans. The couple didn't have a phone in their trailer home, so Angie drove to the local supermarket called Food Barn, where two adjoined payphones were positioned at the far end of the empty parking lot. I was going to meet her back uptown as soon as my mom got home. I was watching my little brother at the time, and she called later on that night.
At 11.23 p.m., the two lovebirds enjoyed a sweet conversation discussing their weekend plans until Rob noticed a shift in Angie's tone. She suddenly sounded concerned as she told him that a green pickup truck was circulating the parking lot, driving oddly slow and making her feel uneasy. Rob asked if Angie recognized a vehicle or the driver, but she didn't, describing the truck as a late 1960s or early 1970s Ford pickup. Just as her heart started beating faster, she sighed in relief, noticing that the truck was leaving the lot. The pair laughed and shrugged it off as they continued their conversation until the driver returned moments later. This time, the man parked his truck just a few spaces away from Angie's car and walked towards her into the payphone stall right next to her. She began frantically whispering all the details of what was happening to Rob over the phone as he tried to calm her down saying that the man was likely lost and calling someone to ask for directions. Just then, the driver walked back to his truck, picked up a flashlight, and began looking for something inside his vehicle. At this point, Angie told Rob she was scared. Again, not believing anything serious was going on, he said that perhaps the phone he was using didn't work and was waiting for the one she was busy occupying. So Angie took a step from the phone booth and asked the driver if he needed to use the phone. Without hesitation, the man replied, saying no. As the stranger remained in his truck and said he didn't need to use the phone, Angie turned back to the phone booth and continued her conversation, describing every physical detail of the man. She stated that he was Caucasian, had a mustache and beard, wore overalls, a dark baseball cap, and black-rimmed glasses, and noted that he looked filthy. Suddenly, Rob heard a blood-curdling scream, followed by a man saying, I don't need to use the phone anyway. After repeatedly shouting her name and getting no answer, a panicked Rob dropped the phone, got in his truck, and drove towards the supermarket, which was only seven blocks away from his parents' house. As he sped through the streets, he saw a green Ford pickup truck heading in the opposite direction. As a vehicle passed, he was horrified to see Angie leaning over the driver and screaming his name from the partially rolled down window. Unknowingly damaging his transmission as he threw his car in reverse, he pulled a U-turn and chased the abductor for two miles through the downtown business district until his car finally gave out in the middle of a side road. The transmission failed. It, uh, it started dying as I was making my turn to the right. A frustrated Rob quickly got out of his car and ran after the truck on foot for about 10 miles until he no longer could and watched as the truck's brake lights disappeared into the darkness. This guy turned off the ride. All I saw was his brake lights and dust. He then made the decision to head back into town on foot and on his way, waved a car down for help and was driven to the police station, arriving at approximately 12.05 a.m. He informed the officers what had happened and gave a detailed description of the driver and the truck. According to Rob, the vehicle was a green Ford pickup truck with a white top, had damage near the front fender on the driver's side, and a distinctive large design on the back window of a fish jumping out of the water. He also stated that due to the excessive amount of dirt and rust, he could only see two letters on the license plate, X and Y. His statement struck authorities, something like this was unheard of in a quiet town like Clinton. Still, the police took his word, launched a full-scale search for the truck, and began working on a composition sketch of the abductor. They then headed to the side road where Rob's car had broken down but couldn't find any evidence pointing them in the right direction. 
and with no proof to support his extraordinary story, police began to grow suspicious of his part in Angie's disappearance. Being a rural town, Clinton had a small police force and their only detective, Damon Parsons, arrived on the scene at 5 a.m. that morning. He immediately began getting information out to the local media and contacted Missouri State Police for assistance. Authorities and more than 250 volunteers conducted air and ground searches in both Henry and Clinton counties. Damon initially focused his investigation on Rob. After all, even though the couple seemed happy, what if Rob wasn't as thrilled about the pregnancy as he claimed to be? He was still very young and had been making different plans for the future before the baby was in the picture. However, as much as this theory sounded plausible, those closest to the couple, including Angie's parents, knew there was no way he had anything to do with her disappearance. Furthermore, Rob was genuinely distressed about the situation and repeated the abduction story during several police interviews without contradictions. You know, it was natural that people wondered, you know, did the boyfriend do it type thing. But my feeling, I've known the kid all his life and um, I, I never doubted for a minute that he had anything to do with it. The Clinton police understood they had more on their hands than they could handle and contacted the FBI for assistance. Soon, the residents of Clinton began to call in tips and several rumors started to swirl around town, many of which included the same name, Bill Barker. 17-year-old Bill Barker was Angie's ex-boyfriend and there was a rumor that Bill was the actual father of her child and not Rob. However, both boys strongly denied all accusations. On Wednesday, April 10, 1991, the two young men were formally questioned by officials and were given polygraph tests, but results were never revealed to the public. As weeks passed, more witnesses came forward confirming they had seen a green truck and an unidentified man near the booth in the food barn parking lot the night Angie was abducted. Missouri State Police went through vehicle databases and came up with a list of over 1,600 trucks that matched Rob's description. We uh, had some assistance from the Missouri State Highway Patrol that did a computer search on all registered vehicles with make and in the approximate year, wherever these trucks are at on as far as color and, and if they had any mural in the back window uh, with no success. In hopes of finding new leads, the FBI and Clinton police contacted other law enforcement offices, but nothing came up despite an extensive investigation and her case sadly went cold. The police later looked into two other unsolved cases within a 100-mile radius of where Angie disappeared, hoping they were somehow connected. Three months before Angie's disappearance on January 19, 1991, a 42-year-old woman named Trudy Darby worked as a clerk in a convenience store in Max Creek. She called her son Waylon just before 10 p.m. and told him that two suspicious men were lurking outside the store and asked if he would accompany her home. The call was then abruptly ended. She said, there's a strange man outside and I, I would like you to be up here while I, while I try to get this store closed. When Waylon arrived just 10 minutes later, his mother had vanished. $230 was missing from the cash register, but Trudy's belongings, including her car, coat, and handbag were left behind. He immediately called the police, and when they arrived and searched the area, she was nowhere to be found. The, the door is open, the lights are on, the cash register is open, and there's Trudy's son Waylon there. 
but Trudy is, is uh, not there. Two days later, the body of Trudy Darby was discovered at the Little Niangua River, 10 miles from the store. She was submerged in four feet of water, stripped nude, raped, and shot twice in the head with a shotgun. A month later, on February 27, 1991, 30-year-old Cheryl Ann Kenny was reported missing in Nevada, Missouri, 70 miles from Max Creek. Cheryl was working an evening shift at the Quality Convenience on Business 71 Highway and was scheduled to work until midnight. Since it was a slow night, she decided to close the store early. She clocked out at 10 p.m., set the store alarm at 10.17 p.m., and locked the front doors. She never arrived home and has never been heard from again. Just over one month later, Angela Hammond was abducted. In 1994, police arrested stepbrothers Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney for the abduction, rape, and murder of Trudy Darby. Both men were found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Jesse, who was only 15 years old at the time of the murder, told investigators that they entered the convenience store, emptied the cash register, dragged Trudy out of the store, and forced her into the trunk of their car. They then drove to a nearby barn where they raped, beat, and shot her in the head. They proceeded by placing her back in the trunk and went to the river where they discovered that Trudy was still alive and shot her in the head again, then threw her body in the river. The man convicted of kidnapping and murder is set to be released from prison. We're talking about this man here, Jess Rush. He's going to walk free from the Missouri Department of Corrections this week. A judge sentenced Rush to life in prison without eligibility for parole three decades ago. Jesse Rush, who was convicted of homicide at 17 years old without the possibility of parole, was ordered to be released by a judge due to a Supreme Court ruling in 2012 that deemed mandatory life without parole sentences unconstitutional for minors. Marvin Cheney, the other individual convicted for the murder of Trudy Darby, passed away in prison in 2017. Trudy Darby, a mother, wife, sister, and daughter, is remembered by her children who still recall the events of that day and the impact it had on them all these years. I think she lives on in our kids, you know. Yeah. Just so blessed. We are so blessed, you know, and, and she just looks over us. Despite Trudy Darby's case being solved, Cheryl Ann Kenny and Angela Hammond's cases remain unsolved to this day. Even though investigators suspected that Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney were involved in all three cases. In April 2021, on the 30th anniversary of Angie's disappearance, the Clinton Police Department announced that a new theory was being investigated into her case. Police now have a new theory. The wrong Angela was abducted. Turns out there was an informant in another case who was being threatened. A confidential informant that helped in a narcotics operation received a cryptic letter composed of cut and paste characters in the style of a ransom letter, which included the line, We know where your foxy daughter is at. She will see us soon. The letter also correctly identified the informant's court-issued number and his estranged wife's first name. The letter was postmarked on April 4th, 1991, the exact date that Angie was abducted late that evening. It was a case of mistaken identity. Pretty incredible. Did your Angela look like the other Angela? There were very, there were striking similarities. That informant's family was in Clinton, Missouri. 
Investigators theorized that those involved in the narcotics operation targeted the informant's daughter but mistakenly abducted Angela Hammond instead. Around this time, police received a voicemail from an anonymous caller with details involving the letter, but no one ever heard from this mysterious caller again. Boy, we would sure like to talk to that person. We need to know what happened. We have to figure something out. It's been 32 years with no new leads to follow, but Clinton police have refused to let this case go cold and said they would continue to pursue any and every possibility in the hopes of solving Angela's abduction. It's safe to say that uh, uh, we do have some, some evidence of a, of a DNA nature. We've discovered that there is a possibility that we may have some physical evidence from the original crime scene that's still preserved and may have viable evidence that, that can lead us to a suspect in this case. We feel, you know, how heart-wrenching it is that she was taken. Um, even if the guy that took her sees this, if he would just call and let him know what he did with her. Angie's mother, Marcia Cook, sadly passed away in May of 2021 without ever finding any answers to her daughter's disappearance. Because you know you were close enough to get him, but she just didn't get the job done. For years, Rob felt like he failed to protect Angie and save her, but with lots of time and healing, he was able to eventually move on and do great things in his life. He moved from Clinton to Virginia, trained and entered the National Guard, and is now happily married with children. Rob, along with the Hammond family, continues seeking answers, hoping that justice will one day be served. If you have any information about Angela Hammond's disappearance, please call the Clinton Police Department at 660-885-5561. To report any information regarding the disappearance of Cheryl Ann Kenny, please contact the Nevada Police Department at 417-448-2710. this episode, please subscribe and follow me on Instagram at Exhibit May Podcast.